So we're uh, jettisoning out of uh, the what makes the kingdom of God visible in our lives because uh, that was just kind of a thing we were doing transitionally. But still, you can do your own research on every topic that we left in there, spiritual warfare, uh, stewarding of gifts, physical possessions, stuff like that. There was, uh, we only got about halfway through. There's about six more things in the article. Uh, you can email me or uh, Deanna in particular for that article if you want it, or if you're listening on the podcast and wondering what we're talking about, or you can find it at the church next time you're there. So, uh, we're getting into what I really love, uh, what I find uh, the most interesting as far as like aspects in um, our faith to Christ and the, and the mandates and how to obey him and uh, what it means to love God and uh, essentially what we're going to be talking about for the next seven weeks in Wright State as we're meeting here is uh, evangelism. And, but we're also going to, uh, there's no way we can compress this down to seven weeks. Uh, it's going to be more like 10 to 12 weeks. Because um, part of that is like just outlining, or outlining gospel, the gospel, and what that is and what that isn't and how we view that today. Uh, so we're revisiting, um, which there's most of it, if you're an RCF leader, you were there. And even people I didn't think were there are apparently there. <laughs> Uh, like Daniel Williams. I didn't even know he was there two years ago uh, when we went through this during the summer for kind of like RCF, RCF leadership and stuff. And I don't know how I preached on this two years ago. Probably wasn't that good. So hopefully this time it's a lot better. Um, and we're, we are recording it for future use, right? So we are going to jump into uh, what we at RCF and GCF call Operation Reconciliation. Uh, obviously, you can read a book by its cover. I teach that to Lily every week at the library. We, uh, we outline what the entire book is about, or we make uh, our best guesses using context clues based on the cover. So based on the title, the cover, Operation Re- Reconciliation, Becoming Effective Fishers of Men to Bear Fruit, that, remain, that remains incorporating productive strategies of evangelism into the daily life of the church. So you can guess exactly what we're going to be talking about for the next uh, 10 to 12 weeks, next seven weeks here at Wright State, and then, you know, 10 to 12 weeks from here. So uh, the title has it all, right? So, um, you know, as we, I thought this would be good, number one, because I really think that we, uh, as a fellowship, as a Christian group on campus, we do a really good job of stewarding the gifts God has given us in knowledge and discipleship, shepherding, taking people out of you know low, uh, lower standards of Christianity into biblical standards of what it means to obey God, to love Christ, uh, you know, to be part of a church, to be filled with the Spirit, studies. I think we do a really good job of that and walking people one-on-one. But I think uh, we did a poll just within RCF leaders last week, and out of the 12 people, uh, myself included, uh, out of the 12, one of those persons had been out evangelizing and sharing the gospel actively uh, in the past month. So uh, in our leadership, we don't have that high of standards to continue to do this, or, you know, there's tons of issues that go into that. Uh, 
how much more would just us as a people, you know, uh, how many, so let's just do a poll right now. Raise your hand if you've been out and sharing the gospel with a complete stranger in the last month. Do patients at the hospital count where you work? Uh, it could. We'll, we'll count it just to get the, the percentages higher. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so maybe maybe three out of uh, 13, 14, uh, you know, which isn't, uh, as we like, we're going to find out, like, is that, like, is that okay? Is that not okay? Is that expected? Does it matter? Uh, maybe it's only for a select few people. Uh, obviously, if we're doing this in a Bible study, uh, we're going to see that it's not. It's for every single person. Uh, it's called to evangelize to share their faith to particularly disciple um, and proclaim the gospel so this operation reconciliation is going to help us to systematically start incorporating that into the life of our body specifically here at RCF and then hopefully or uh, actually we start in RCF and then we hope it goes to the whole you know in our community at GCF um, but we'll Start small. We are, we should. Most of us are single and young uh, and fit and have more free time than most others in the church, which is why we're here on a Tuesday evening. Uh, for some reason, listen to me talk. Uh, <laughs> so uh, we've got the most time to go out and evangelize. And uh, guess what? Like in the summer, when Wright State's out, if you're not taking summer classes, you got Tuesday nights from 7 p.m. to to 9:30 free. <laughs> so uh, if you're wondering, like, man, I don't have any time to evangelize, well, you will soon. It's coming up. Um, and that's what we're preparing for. We're going to, hopefully, my hope and my prayer and my heart, um, you know, why I kind of want to go through this is because I want us to become a community of people that is uh, so in love with Christ that we couldn't help but share the gospel, right, on a, like, you know, I'm sure if we were to ask, like, how many people share the gospel or share about our faith or something in a context, like, of work, well, well <laughs> I do every day because that's my job. I get paid to do it. Uh, <laughs> you know, I witnessed, I actually, uh, you know, got a chance to share the gospel with my boss today. Nice. <laughs> who's, <laughs> who's the pastor of the church? <laughs> so, <laughs> I think he might, I think he was listening. <laughs> He might be receptive. I'm really praying about it. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> it's a little bit, you know, stranger context. Like, I don't uh, get a chance to share with my employees, <laughs> uh, fellow employees as much. But, uh, you know, so I'm sure. Uh, so let's just do it in, like, another. I just want to do another poll just for um, posterity's sake. So how many people not going out proclaiming the gospel, talking to strangers, doing street-level evangelism uh, with the purpose of evangelism. How many people uh, would say that they evangelized or shared their faith at work or uh, even we'll just, we're going to put the standards super, super low and even just like let somebody know that isn't already in RCF or GCF know that they're a Christian or that they love God or something. I think I probably did. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if I talked to anybody that was not an RCF or GCF in the, pa in the past month. I probably did then. I don't know. Uh, so the, the percentages are a lot higher, so that's somewhat already in our hearts and in our character that we want to share about Christ. 
we're going to look uh, biblically the mandate to proclaim Christ, what a disciple of Christ is and does in respect to evangelism, and how we're going to, uh, this is much later on in the series, how we're going to implement that. Although we'll talk a little bit about it when we get to the back. So, um, just as in uh, for looking forward, uh, this is what I would really suggest. This is just all practical things. Uh, so this is everything I took from our series two years ago that I did and taught on with all my copies and different things. And So get a binder like this. This is a one-inch binding. It'll work perfectly if you only want to put one series in, which is going to be... Uh, 12 to 15 papers. I have two extra ones in my car. And John Luke comes prepared. <laughs> he should have been an Eagle Scout. Uh, and he'll sell them to you. <laughs> or give them away. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help you out. The blood of Christ paid for Amen. And your work. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, so go out, get, get a binder. Uh, and uh, keep this one. Or, you know, like I've got a huge, thick, you know, two and a half or two inch binder for just the stuff we've been doing for the RRBC, Rediscovering and Restoring Biblical Christianity series that we've been doing for the last two and a half years, or had been doing. Uh, and keep it separate, bring, uh, like especially for tonight, I didn't uh, do as much preparation to change this entire outline. So uh, like I have written all over this outline various scripture passages and notes that I wanna, that I wanna talk about um, but I didn't incorporate into the outline. So if you bring something to write with, that'll be super beneficial and paper or something to take notes. So uh, the way we did it like um, two years ago, like, uh, which I'm not necessarily going to do immediately, but like here's, uh, I think there was like 48 scripture passages or something on evangelism, uh, on the call to evangelism, the attributes of God, the attributes of man, uh, there's like 48 of them, and you were required to uh, memorize those as soon as possible, and we tested on them. And that like was the test. Can you? I can't remember how people did. Uh, I don't know if I kept the test or not. But so we'll probably end up incorporating something like that. Um, but do that in preparing for the future. Uh, so here we go. That was all just like precursing. Uh, Yes. Uh, the scripture verses? Yeah, I'm going to organize them a little bit better uh, than what we used two years ago. And I'm going to add to it. And um, I'm just going to change it around a little bit. And I'll print, yeah, I'll get those all printed out. Um, and that was like the short, the 48 was the short list. So if you only memorize 48 verses, uh, that would be like the gospel and call to evangelism, then that's like the short list. That would be like the minimum level. And 40, you should be able to memorize 48 verses if you're working at a 40-hour-a-week job and doing other things. You should be able to memorize 48 verses in like 24 weeks at the very slowest rate possible. Uh, you could probably do it in a week if you really wanted to. And then hopefully you review them for the rest of your life and memorize them the day you die and then you can tell everybody in heaven those bible passages <laughs> so uh 
And, uh, you know, I know that we probably won't do anything as far as like a testing in this classroom, you know, discussion group type setting. Uh, but anybody that really wants to get serious and what we're going to do is like have a schedule of people who are going out on Friday nights and, uh, you know, going out and sharing the gospel here on campus or doing, you know, like doing street level apologetics and sharing the gospel on Friday nights or, you know, on uh, Mondays and Wednesdays or something here. We'll get a kind of a scheduled format so that we can really like equip people and, uh, you know, help them walk that out, you know, because a lot of people... Uh, this is probably, I'm, I'm hoping it's 100%, but uh, one more poll, because we're obviously on the big screen here. We got a bar and a poll that we're going to look at a little bit uh, for something. How many people have it in their heart that they want to share the gospel and evangelize? Everybody should be raising their hand. If you don't, then you need to examine, examine your hearts, repent. I don't believe uh, <laughs> well, then you should have came to our teaching <laughs> three weeks ago, I think, about about the mandate to raise your hands in worship. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, but so uh, if everybody was truthful and honest, 100% say that, that evangelism, going out and sharing the gospel is in their hearts, but less than uh, you know, uh, 10 or 15% has actually done that in the past month. So I think the problem is uh, why we have formulated, why we even have Operation Reconciliation in the first place is to number one, equip people, uh, and then to release them to go out and do that, right? So I will hold your hand as much as I literally can um, to go out and share the gospel, and uh, it helps if you're a cute girl, but did uh, <laughs> it, uh, right? <laughs> uh, so, like, as much as we can facilitate you going out and sharing the gospel, um, you know, getting out there and actually, actually obeying Christ. So, uh, let's look into lesson one. There's going to be about 12 lessons. Uh, I might compress that down a little bit, but first we're going to prioritize Christ's final objective, uh, an introduction to Operation Reconciliation. So, um, we're going to look at, like, why we should study the Bible's approach to evangelism and prepare and train accordingly. So, one of the big things that's going to keep coming up is like throughout this whole series and what we're doing is you've been taught a specific way of doing things. You've heard what evangelism is and you've heard what evangelism isn't. And I'm going to say right off the bat, most of the time you're probably wrong. I grew up, this is just my own personal experience, which is not the basis for truth and reality, but my, this has been my experience uh, and it's matched Dozens and dozens of other people's experience. Um, of I was raised in the church. I was raised in a church. I have Christian parents. Uh, I became a leader, quote unquote, in a church led Bible studies, and I was doing 99% of the things in my life unbiblically, not according to God's ways or patterns, and it was totally displeasing to Him. 99, there's like maybe like 1%, and I'm like being really generous. <laughs> like maybe 1% of the time, uh, I was actually like obeying God in the ways and loving him out of my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and doing things with proper motives, and uh, like 1%, like I was totally unconverted, but this is probably the problem, uh, but like I was raised in a church and was told like what evangelism is and how to study the Bible, but like all of it was wrong, and I talked to people 
every week in different areas of their life. And they're people who have grown up in the church, been Christians for 20-some years, and no one's ever taught like them how to read the Bible or study and find out like what God thinks about things. Uh, so it's really, really dark out there. And one of the reasons is uh, we need to reexamine um, is our approach to evangelism. Because we're going to see that like, uh, you know, as we empirically and kind of pragmatically look out into the world, like, like if you don't think that Western civilization is like falling apart at a rapid rate, then you should read the Bible or something because you're really, really fooled and deceived. Um, and we'll take some more practical like looks at that and uh, get into it a little bit deeper. This is kind of like a overview of everything. So um, we need to like study the patterns of evangelism. The early church, you go through the book of Acts, was super effective. So if they were super effective in making uh, converts to Christ, right, and setting up churches and raising up uh, elders and leadership and having influence over the culture and society, then uh, how did they do it? How did Christ, you know, through the, um, you know, inspiration through the Holy Spirit into his people, into the church, how did they do that? Like, if you want to change the culture and we see something wrong, how do we do that? Well, we're going to look foundationally, biblically, and then we're going to see how the church did that through the ages and, and whatnot. So um, we've got seven reasons why we need to look at opera, Operation Reconciliation. Um, the first one is the kingdom of God and the central theme of Scripture, which we'll just kind of touch on this a little bit. We've talked, we talk about this all the time. Uh, we just went through what makes the kingdom of God visible in our lives by David Cornfield thing for a few weeks. So we don't really need to like belabor the point a whole lot more um, about like it's a central theme in Scripture. John the Baptist preaches it. Jesus Christ preaches it. Acts. Uh, all the apostles preach it. It's preached all throughout the Old Testament as the central view or central theme that pervades Scripture. Uh, Jesus tells us to pray, you know, uh, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our whole life, uh, to some degree, is all about bringing heaven, the realities of God's presence, his kingdom, his law, obedience to him, his reign here on earth. Um, and that's going to have to take, uh, just by laws of logic and reasoning, we're going to have to say something. We're going to have to talk to people, convert them, proclaim the gospel. We're going to have to tell them to obey Christ, right? Um, so, uh, you know, within the kingdom of God being uh, the central theme, kingdom growth glorifies the king. So let's go this way. Sorry, we can just read off of uh, the paper and then um, Austin, can you get Numbers 14.21? There's going to be a lot of Bible verses and, and passages and references that are not on the paper that I'll have people look up. Uh, so Josiah, can you read that kind of paragraph under Kingdom Growth Glorifies the King? Yeah, so that's a, just a proverb that's, you know, really quick, uh, you know, in Proverbs and saying that, like, uh, a ruler, a king is pleased to have a large population of people, right? 
and with few numbers of people is the king's devastation. It ruins the kingdom. There's no influence. There's no. There's less reign. There's less rule. There's less obedience. There's less monetary. And like a natural kingdom, there's less monetary gain. There's, you know, with less people. Like a kingdom, is made up by the people, right? So, um, Austin, can you read Numbers fourteen twenty one? And we're just going to look at like a little section in the middle of this. Uh, little of this verse. Numbers fourteen twenty one out of the ESV. None of those who despise me shall see it. Yeah. So in the middle of that, he says, "As surely as it is, the knowledge of the glory of God will fill the earth. Right? It will come about. Right? But it's not going to for these people who disobey. They're not going to see the promised land. Right? So um, one of the reasons why we went through that kingdom of God uh, being made visible is to get that pietistic view out of our head of that, like, God's just going to do it regardless, and we don't have to do anything about it, right? So we know that kingdom growth, more people uh, glorifies God, glorifies uh, our Lord and King Jesus Christ, but uh, we would have to make some kind of disconnect in our brains and in our minds to say we don't have to do something about it, that we're not as each member personally responsible for kingdom growth. That means more people, uh, but it also means, you know, more character, more fruit, more gain, more influence, you know. Um, so, uh, you know, Christ-centered, Christ-centered obedience before human-centered compassion, uh, you know, within the kingdom, obedience of faith. So we're not just uh, going out and proclaiming the gospel or proclaiming God as king, we're like our goal in evangelism in uh, Christ's kingdom reigning is that more people uh, become obedient to Christ, not in a legalistic way, right? That uh, although we will see that um, the more each individual's, right, just like the seven institutions that we have, the more each individual is personally obedient to Christ, right, through, you know, through the proclamation of the gospel, it's going to trickle up to the civil government, to where entire nations, as we're told, you know, in, uh, in Matthew, Matthew's Great Commission, we're supposed to disciple entire nations of people. Not individual people in the nations, yes, but we're going to disciple entire nations uh, in bringing obedience to Christ. You know, I was just talking uh, with a gentleman about, uh, you know, taking every thought captive to the uh, obedience of Christ. Like every idea, every monetary system, every way of life is going to eventually become subject to Christ as king. Our job is to go out and proclaim him as king and how to disciple people into obedience, right? So uh, let's look, which is what going to bring us to this Barna poll on the screen, the crisis in evangelical Christianity. So I'm not really going to look at that, you know, point A, some statistics, uh, because we're going to look at this. So thankfully, Austin had a wireless mouse on hand. Uh, So this is a Barna poll from 2016, the state of the church, uh, which is really, you guys should like go back and look at the state of the church 2015 and, and see how it continues to uh, decline as far as Christianity having any influence on our culture today. But this is actually like really astonishing. So this is how 
most Americans affiliate. 73 73% of Christians identify, 73% of Americans identify as Christians. So that would mean we have a nation of Christians, right? We're mostly a Christian nation. That clearly is not pervasive in our government, in our education, in our economy, in our media, in our movies. Uh, that doesn't, so there's got to be a disconnect there. If 73% of people in America identify as Christian, something's wrong, right? Um, probably their idea of what a Christian is uh, or how to identify that, is that is way off. So, um, But so if 73% of people identify as Christian, this is saying in their polls that only 31% are practicing, 31% of Americans are practicing Christianity. So there's a huge disconnect there of where uh, in our post-Christian, post-modern world is you can say you're Christian but not do anything about it. These are all ideas that have influenced us to some degree, even in our, you know, uh, unofficial poll of uh, all of us have a heart to evangelize, but none of us do it. <laughs> none of us are practicing, right? So let's go on. Um, so this one's interesting because it says 55% of uh, Americans uh, are churched out of the 73%. But if you read it here, I'll do it for you. That means going to church one time in the last six months. So 55% of Americans say they've been to church once in the last six months. At least or just like... At least once. Okay. Uh, yeah, maybe not... Ju- I'm sure some of that is just once, but at least once in the last six months. So, uh, you know, that falls in line with, I could say I'm a Christian, but I don't have to do anything about it. Um, which you can see how that, w- that idea would be in a postmodern conflicting world with Christianity conflicting worldviews, ideas, morals, uh, would say, oh, I can believe personally I'm a Christian, but I don't have to tell anybody else, or I don't have to, uh, I don't have to live that way. I could sleep with my girlfriend or get divorced or do whatever, get drunk or something. You know, there's, there's tons of outlets to that disconnect, but that's where it starts. Um, this is about giving, how do people express their faith, uh, So here's the one I wanted to look at. Um, what Americans believe. That Christians, this is just, uh, this isn't people who identify as Christian. As far as when I read it, I understood this is just Americans in general. Uh, Christians have a responsibility to evangelize others. 26% says they strongly agree. 20% says they somewhat agree. So we're looking at 46% say that to some degree they agree that Christians should evangelize and share their faith. Uh, 35%, I can't tell what color that is, uh, strongly disagree, and 19% somewhat disagree. So the majority of people say that Christians have no right to evangelize their faith, and this is coming within a a 73% supposedly Christian nation that identify as Christians, have thoroughly unbiblical ideas uh, and doctrines in their head. Um, It's even more surprising when you look at this one over here. 
uh, unless you're, you can understand this if you're Catholic, but good works result in going to heaven, 25% uh, say strongly agree. Wow. No doctrine. Anyways, um, you know, so, you know, you should actually research, uh, go to Barna, it's uh, barna.com and under research, they've got all types of things as far as topics. Um, I can't see it from here, faith and Christianity. And they've got all types of articles and polls um, about our culture and what's going on. So check it out. Uh, I can't find one that's labeled State of the Church 2017, but there's one from recently in uh, 2017 was about like Bible reading and it was a little bit positive because there was a little upswing from the previous years about um, people who identify as Christians actually holding to the authority of Scripture. There was like a slight increase, like 5%. And uh, in a postmodern world, the, that needs to, to be the case. That it would be like 100% of people who say that they're Christians would hold to the authority of Scripture. Well, sure, not a Christian, uh, according to the Bible. But, all right, so let's look at the roots of that. So those were just some statistics. Like, we live in this, like, world where, uh, like, I'm going to throw this out there because... Uh, this is so, like, the craziest thing to me, and it's actually hard to believe that we actually live in a world like this. So you guys have heard of, like, gender fluidity, right? Has anybody not heard of gender fluidity? You've never heard? So it means that, like, uh, there is no such thing as male and female necessarily biologically, but that your gender is constructed in your mind, and you can choose to be a male or you can choose to be a female. Uh, that would be mean you're taking active steps to go against your biological state and make uh, medical changes, right? Go through like a process or something. Um, but that's kind of where it ends up. So uh, the fact that that's an idea in our culture and is going to probably pervade until it comes crashing down uh, is absolutely wild to anybody. Like even like even if there was like only 10% of our culture was like thoroughly Christian, like that should not exist. Because that's the, you have to go against science, logic, reasoning, uh, <laughs> evidence, facts, biology. You, would ha you have to reject the entire world you live in and all forms of reality and hate God hard, like down to the bone and be open about it to accept any view like that. That is like the wildest thing I've ever heard in my life, uh, <laughs> or one of the wildest things. Um, but like we live in a in a culture that's like pushing that, and uh, where's the Christian influence? Where's like the churches, uh, you know, any teaching on like that? Like we're trying to get like, like I struggle with people to like read their Bibles. Like I meet with people for like weeks after week after week of like, hey, uh, why do you need to read your Bible? Uh, how deceived you are? How darkened your mind is because you don't read your Bible? And how foolish you are? Uh, and the way out of it is come to Christ and, and read scripture, read his words, come to truth and reality. Uh, and it, like week after week, and it's like, so it's, there's so much backlogging that we're doing to even get to like cultural issues. But, um, but that's kind of the state of the churches today, right? That's the state of our culture today. Um, how many people, let's do, because I like polls, obviously I got the Barna poll. <laughs> I love, I love, uh, Crowd participation, too. 
Um, how many people would say that they've been in the church, been in a church, for more than 10 years? Okay, and everybody is above 18, right? Yeah. Abigail is above 18 now, because we just celebrated her birthday. Yeah. We don't need to... <laughs> uh, so everybody has been uh, in a church for 18 years, getting some, or eight, 10 years, and is over 18 and been getting some kind of teaching. How many people have uh, read through the Bible, uh, we'll give them a two-year break, uh, eight times, New Testament and Old Testament, whole Bible, eight times. I'm probably maybe like just short of, yeah, Dan's, so Dan, hold your hand up. Hold your hand up, Dan, let's see. How many, I'd say I'm uh, four years being a Christian and I'm probably like four times through the Old Testament, so I'm not, I'm not even there. Uh, but I've been in a church for 28 years. So nobody else, nobody else uh, has been in church for 10 years and read the Bible eight times, seven times. Seven times. Six times. Let's keep going. Six times. Whole thing. Five times. Five times. Nobody yet. Four times. I think I can. I, I have encountered, but I'm thinking I can go four. All right, we got a couple more. Yeah. Three times. All right, we got more hands. We're now we're hitting about 45, 50 percent, right? So. Like, these are, like, nobody in our Christian culture is, like, actually discipling people. If we've been in churches for 10 years and nobody's reading their Bibles in a systematic way to get through at a rate of uh, five times for every 10 years. You know, read through the Bible once every two years. And that's so easy and so low of time that it would take you know, on a daily or weekly basis that uh, I went through the, you know, when I got converted to Christ, I read through uh, the entire Bible in like eight months, and then it like started slowing down from there because I started picking up other responsibilities, but I had more time, right? Uh, and hopefully by the time I die, I've read through the Bible as many times as Dan has currently read through the Bible, but I don't know if I'll get there, right? Because you've been reading super diligently. That's amazing. That's that's awesome. Plus, I had evangelical studies and tapes and things I listened to mm -hmm. from Christian culture church in the Navy where I was affiliated with. I yeah. Baptized in the ocean. It's the waves were coming in like I want you. I said, No, I'm the one going under. My life has never been the same. I used to be yeah. Catholic, and they discriminate in reading of the Bible. Mm -hmm. But ever since I had a bad car accident in '91. Yeah. Well, let's get not too much off topic as far as that, but I let's kind of look. Day. Yeah. So you've read through it a lot, which is awesome. Um, so the roots of the problem, like, are actually in our, like, our patterns and our ways of thinking. So they're in our church, and we're thoroughly integrated into it. You are a product. <laughs> we, we've all just proven it, right? Nobody grew up on a Christianity that was serious enough about the study of Scripture, uh, about zeal for God, to, like, actually take time out of their day. Like, so let's just show out of, a, like, one more poll, and I'll probably stop polling people. How many people have Christian parents? So none of our Christian parents even <laughs> taught us like to read the Bible or helped us and led us in that. Uh, so that's kind of uh, sad. But so the roots of the problem, um, 
Morgan, can you read that uh, little section on roots, the roots of the problem? Yes. We must include re-examination of all sorts of money and more. Yeah. Uh, Jane, can you read Hosea 4.6 whenever you got it? Um, Hose, I actually made a note on this last night. I think it's, read Hosea 4.6 and also it's like 4.17. Let me find out. Uh, I think it's 4, 17, 14, we'll find out. Um, uh, 14. Oh, so 6 and 14? Yeah, actually just the last sentence in 14, but you can read it, all of 14 if you want. Hosea 6, 4, 6, and 4, 14. Yeah, so that pretty much um, describes our churches today. <laughs> Welcome. Uh, no knowledge, forgotten the knowledge of God, the law of God. Uh, therefore, God has forgotten our children. Uh, and our, we are people who have come to ruin because we have rejected God in his word, in his ways, and in his law. So we, this is like the need. We see the culture around us. Uh, and we have to, we're mandated to fix it. And we're going to find out how. Um, so especially undermining the authority of scripture uh, and modern approaches to the gospel. You guys like, like, I don't know, like besides like you guys should like really just get out there and talk to people and ask them what the gospel is. Right. So I work with people anywhere from my scenario where like, uh, you know, I was doing I was in a church doing Bible studies, yet thoroughly unchristian and living a double life and rejecting God. But I knew something about the Bible. I knew enough to look good and run a Bible study, although since uh, I don't remember what the Bible studies were about, you know, in kind of small groups, I'm sure it was like thoroughly theologically not accurate, <laughs> uh, especially because I'd pull from like, you know, I'd pull from, I'd just take sermons from people I in circles uh, that I thought were good, but not as good as I thought. Not as good as I know now. Um, and then, uh, you know, the, but then like at Ponitz High School, uh, where we Ponitz Career Technology Center, um, I have not yet once met a student out of all the people I've talked to that could actually, who identify as Christian and, and go to church, or whatever, could tell me what the gospel is or what God is like, accurately, according to, you know, the gospel is one thing, but even like what God is like uh, is a whole nother, like tell me something about him. <laughs> that was like actually biblically accurate to his character, his attributes, and, and who he is. Um, I mean, the closest I got was like that he is loving and gracious. <laughs> uh, this is true, uh, but if that's all you know, and that's all you have, uh, it's hard to know how deeply you know God, right? So, um, you know, the modern approaches to the gospel, like I, at Ponus, we'd for a while gone through the eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel series with the foundation of Romans one sixteen says, uh, for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God to save all those who believe, first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. So, and, you know, uh, Mark, I think it's one fourteen or one fifteen. Repent and believe the gospel. Um, so you have to know the gospel in order uh, 
to be saved and what salvation is, and you have to believe it. And to believe it, you have to know what it is. And uh, <laughs> I couldn't find anybody, at least in Ponitz, uh, you know, people who say that they're Christians know what that is, which was the logical conclusion. Not Christians. They're, they're not. They're not. They're not. They might have some character. They might be. The Lord's probably starting to call them and regenerate them and bring them into newness of life and uh, be washed by the blood of Christ and be filled with the Spirit and experience birth through the church. But, uh, you know, I meet with people every week who are so off base from the gospel or what it is or what it means to be a Christian, and they've grown up in church their whole life. I, like, I really, really encourage you guys, like, like if you... Like, if you don't know how bad it is out there, start meeting with people one-on-one and ask them what the gospel is. And go through teachings and find out what the, like, know, make sure you know what the gospel is. If you uh, stick with Operation Reconciliation, that's the latter half of the program, is like, what is the gospel? Or go through the eight essential elements of the Biblical Christian Gospel series. Listen to it. Listen to the uh, nine-part shorter version. Um, you know, go to good websites like Ligonier or, uh, you know, Together for the Gospel is a quasi-good, um, you know, organization about the gospel and accurately and, like, research, like, uh, five solace of the Reformation and what Reformed doctrine is. And uh, to get an idea, like, study, like, don't, like, study it, like, practically, the depths of man's depravity. We all <laughs> study that regularly. <laughs> but study it theologically, biblically. How deep does it go? How deep does sin go? Um, and you'll see that most people, uh, as far as I can tell, you know, this is in my experience, which it could be a different case, but from what the Barnapol says, everything I've experienced, my own personal life, um, is that most people I meet that are in church, birthed into the church, go into the church, say that they're Christians, say they know God, they love God, don't know anything about them, don't know anything about how to, what obedience is, don't know the law of God, don't know the Ten Commandments, don't know what God requires. Therefore, they don't know him, and they sure as hell don't love him. <laughs> and that's how scared it is out there. It is really, really messed up. Um, but that's the roots of the problem. You know, it starts with the undermining the authority of Scripture, our modern approaches to the gospel, uh, disciple-making and ecclesiology. You know, I love studying the church. Like, man, if uh, I say this kind of jesting, but kind of seriously, uh, and this is just a side point, like, uh, if Catholics had right doctrine, I would love to be part of and do, like, Catholic services that are, like, two or three hours, kneeling, standing, sitting, singing psalms, uh, reciting things in Latin, <laughs> uh, priests wearing robes, burning incense down the altars, altar boys lighting candles. <laughs> that would be awesome. I would love... Uh, it's a language, isn't it? Latin? Latin, yeah. It's over there in Italy. Yeah. Um, I would love if we can just, like, if we got, like, you know, Andy or who I was preaching the 930 and John Weiss to wear a robe while they preached. I would be so happy. <laughs> uh, I don't think John would be up for that. Or if we can just, like, wave an incense thing uh, during the prayer hour or something. Uh, I love, you know, our, our modern approaches to disciple-making, you know, it's been groupified of 
by the masses, watered down, getting them in, and our ecclesiology, low view of the churches, uh, have to be reexamined, you know, from a biblical standpoint, right? All right, so uh, moving on to point C, the crisis in uh, evangelicalism today, the contemporary gospel issues. Um, we'll talk about this more. We're going to have a whole lesson on uh, seven lessons. Um, as it said, there's uh, you know a modeled pattern of disciple making, of you know going, modeling, uh, and therefore. So, uh, point number three of the seven reasons why we have Operation Reconciliation, um, you know John Weiss I think just uh, preached on this a couple of weeks ago. Fishing is a primary priority in following Christ and following Jesus, uh, which is the source of. Our first subtitle, sub, first subtitle uh, becoming effective fishers of men to bear fruit that remains. So, Dan, can you read that Mark 1, 16 through 20? Uh, you can just read off the page if you want, or you can read it out of your Bible, either way. Yes, sir. Mark 1, 16 through 20, King James Version. Yeah. So he says, uh, follow me, and I will make, I'll make you become fishers of men, right? That's part of Christ's calling. That's not exclusive to the 12 apostles, right? Because like, we're going to see here in a minute of uh, what a disciple, the difference between a disciple of Christ and a Christian is. Um, is like It's in the nature of Christ's calling. The first disciples he called from the very beginning, he said, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You're going to become you're going to not, no longer be fishermen, and you're going to become fishers of men. It's going to be in your nature, because it's in Christ's nature and in his calling. Right? Number four, Christ's last objective. Right? So Christ's first objective, uh, you know, after calling, is the call to be fishers of men. His last objective in calling is uh, his concluding command, his final priority, his core value, uh, the core value of Christ. Um Deanna, can you read Matthew 28, 18 through 20? All right, so this is the last recorded message of Jesus in Matthew. Um, Abigail, can you get Mark 16, 15 through 20? And then uh, we're going to skip that Acts uh, 1, 1 through 8. But Adam, can you read Acts or get Acts 8, 4 ready? Acts 8.4, and then Abigail, Mark 16. So this is like, we've, we all know this. If you guys have been around for more than 10 days, then you know that like we talk heavily and talk about that. This is Jesus' last objective. It's the last thing he said and told his disciples, this is what you're doing. It's of high importance. If you're on your deathbed, you're not going to talk to your kids about like, oh, man, I remember that. Uh, <laughs> I remember that Pi Day competition. That was so good. You remember that back in 2018? That was, there were so many good pies, which is coming up. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to throw that out there. Right? That's not going to be of high importance. You're going to, um, you know, if you have any, uh, you know, godly character about you, whatever, well, it doesn't matter. Whatever you're talking about the, on your deathbed, that's what's going to be of high importance. You're leaving. You're not going to see them anymore, right? What do you want them to know? If it's pie, I'm sorry, you're super lost. If your whole life is about pie, <laughs> but there's going to be some really good pie. 
So, Abigail, can you read that, Mark? I do. 16, 15 through 20. So go and preach the gospel to all of creation. What did they do? They went out and preached everywhere. <laughs> what else would you do? <laughs> right? Does anybody know? Uh, I believe it's St. Francis of Assisi, one of the things he's kind of famous for. Any Catholics? Any ex-Catholics? Nobody. Deanna, you're shaking your head. <laughs> what, was, uh, what was one of the things, obviously, what I'm getting at in this Mark passage, what was St. Francis of Assisi known for? Yeah, he, he like go out into the woods and because Mark says go out into all creation and proclaim the gospel, right? In all of creation, right? Uh, so that's what he did. So maybe the tree huggers can actually preach the trees. They, yeah, they'd have to stop being tree huggers. They have to renounce their ways, then they could preach, preach to the trees. I think that's actually an illusion in Isaiah, isn't it? Preach to the trees. Isn't there a, a passage in Isaiah or something or Jeremiah about? Preaching to the trees. It's a word picture. Anyways. Uh, and that, let's, okay, so that's what they were commanded to do. That's what they did. Jesus' final objective. All right, what about uh, Acts 8 4? Oh. So who was, who was scattered? Uh, this is in Acts 8, so after the persecution. <laughs> People that were in Jerusalem, just, uh, so it doesn't say like the elders, the apostles, the apostles stayed back in Jerusalem. Um, so it says the people that were scattered, all Christians who were scattered preached the gospel as they were scattered, preached as they were scattered. It wasn't limited to a select group of people. It wasn't limited to people who had gone through Operation Reconciliation and uh, gotten prepared and equipped. It was like in their heart and in their nature, uh, and everybody did it, right? All right, let's flip over. Number five of the seven reasons why we even have this program is because proclamation and power display evangelism are biblically essential. They have to take place. The concepts are married, right? What was the last? Uh, you still got that Mark passage, uh, Abigail? What's that? Uh, is it verse 20? Yeah, read verse, the last verse in Mark. And they went out and preached everywhere until the Lord's work was done and confirmed the message saying, Yeah, so it doesn't say like the Lord confirmed the message uh, by having like a huge tithe base <laughs> or the Lord confirmed the message by uh, any other means but by accompanying signs and miracles, right? Uh, there's tons, obviously we look at the pattern of Jesus um, being the ultimate evangelist, the ultimate shepherd, you know, every ultimate prophet, ultimate king, um, you know, the evangelist being how he, uh, how he evangelized and how he equipped people to go out and share the gospel, um, is everywhere he went, there was accompanying signs and miracles, right? Uh, Jonathan, can you read that on the back page, A, the necessity of proclamation, uh, Romans 10, 13 through 17. For whoever will call on the name, so faith comes from hearing, and hearing by the word of Christ. Yeah. So there has to be a proclamation, <laughs> there has to be a sharing, there has to be, how will people ever come to faith in Christ if no one ever tells them? And how are people going to tell them or believe in him, right? It goes, how will they believe? How will they call on his name? Whoever doesn't believe, how are they going to believe? Uh, if they're not told, how are they 
How are they going to be told if no one preaches? How are they going to preach if no one's sent? This is what we're preparing for is being sent, right? Uh, is that where it ends? Uh, unless there's a preacher. Um, you know, faith comes through hearing and hearing through the words of Christ. So this is uh, like proclaim, preach, herald, or all the same word in different translations, you know, inner synonyms of we have to go out, we have to share the gospel, we have to do proclamation, which is we have to uh, stand on street corners, proclaim the gospel, which I can't wait for. Josiah and I are going to be downtown uh, Courthouse Square one day uh, up on the stage proclaiming the gospel to large crowds. With megaphones. With, maybe with megaphones. <laughs> and if there's no megaphones, we'll just talk really loud. Anvesh is going to be in Columbus, then in India, proclaiming the gospel, hopefully on a street corner. <laughs> <laughs> don't have to be on a street corner. Uh, but there is the necessity of, like, you look at the pattern that, uh, you know, Jesus did go into the synagogues and reason with them, and Paul did the same thing. There's what we have been accustomed to at RCF of those who do go and share the gospel uh, and do go and evangelize. We go and meet people one-on-one, -on -one and we reason with them with the scriptures and... Uh, you know, question their worldview and their epistemology and, you know, try to show them their foolish ways of thinking and present the gospel. But a lot of the other part of that, which is proclamation, which is heralding, which is bringing the good news, but a large part of Jesus's ministry and the book of Acts is like, when I say standing on a street corner, I don't mean they literally stand on, stood on the corner of the street, but they were standing in the Areopagus right, Paul, Acts 17, <laughs> large crowds, lots of people being reached. Acts, 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 uh, Acts 2, uh, or, yeah, 2 into 3, Peter on the day of Pentecost, large crowds. Uh, last time I checked, if 3,000 people were added that day, right, in Acts 3, there, he had to be, been, he had to have been preaching to 3,000 people at least. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think he met with them one-on-one -on -one and reasoned with them uh, all in one day, you know, like in an assembly line. Uh, he was preaching to large crowds. And that is an area that we are going to move into to some degree um, because it's, there's the biblical necessity for it. But I think everybody can be equipped and trained uh, and should be and should be sent to go out and at least reason one-on-one, -on -one, you know, as, um, I always forget if it's first Peter, it's first Peter 3.15, not second Peter 3.15, um, you know, that says sanctify Christ in your hearts as Lord, be prepared, uh, oh, I'm going to lose it, uh, be prepared to, uh, make a defense of the faith that you have, um, to anyone who asks for you, that for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, right? So it's not like, hey, you're <laughs> a bleepity bleep, repent, come on to this group, <laughs> right? You can reason with people. Uh, you should do it. You should always do it respectfully and gently, uh, and you should always proclaim, right? Even when repent, you're a sinner. <laughs> Could be respectfully and gently. Um, you're a lawbreaker, you're a sinner, 
uh, you know, um, I think we can all be equipped to, to do it one-on-one, go out, share the gospel, and, and I think some of us are called to do it, uh, quote-unquote, on the street corner, right, to large crowds. But they're both a necessity of proclaiming, and they're both a type of proclaiming. So, um, John Luke, can you read uh, the necessity of God's power on display? Uh, we already talked about, you know, Mark one twenty that uh, Christ confirmed the signs, the testimony of uh, the apostles through signs and wonders, right? Um, read that First Corinthians two four and five and four twenty. Okay. My speech and my proclamation were Yeah. So what's interesting is I always like to go back and uh, I did a whole study where I went through the book of Acts, or when I was going through the epistles, I related like you know when uh, Paul goes to Corinth and like read the account of him in Corinth the one or two times or whatever. Uh, and then read the the epistles and kind of matched them up of what he was doing. And there's no account in the book of Acts of him doing any miracles in Corinth. Never one. Uh, but yet he says he came to them in, you know, not words of wisdom and lofty speech, but in demonstrations of the Spirit, right? So uh, whatever was going on didn't make it into Acts, but clearly Paul's drawing that into account for his purpose. Um so, uh, Sam Wante, can you read First Thessalonians 1, uh, 4, and 5? <clears throat> we prove to be among you for your sake. Yeah. So, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Right? So, it's a normal pattern, obviously, as Christ preached throughout his you know, three-year ministry of, uh, we don't need to go back and review all the Gospels, but you'd see that there's always uh, displays of miracles, deliverances, healings, right? Except where couldn't he do very many? Where was he, where was Christ, I'm going to use this loosely, limited in his miraculous? His hometown. His hometown. Why? Because uh, of their beliefs, as they couldn't, uh, someone can find it. I didn't write it down, so I don't know the reference. It's, it's, it's like one of the last passages in Matthew 13. All right, find it real quick. Let's uh, let's review it, uh, just so we're not going off of my loose thoughts, more for the scripture. Although that's what a Bible study is, right? <laughs> uh, that's what a Bible study is. My loose thoughts. Oh yeah, go ahead and read it, John Luke. Okay, from 57. Uh, yeah, whatever. Because of their unbelief, he didn't do very miracles, right? So, um, it's a normal, normative pattern of Scripture to have attesting signs and miracles that, uh, as that Mark passage, Mark sixteen twenty, says that confirms the message that they were preaching. So, uh, how many people, since none of us went out and evangelized in the last month, none of us can have attesting signs or miracles? <laughs> right? <laughs> By negation. Uh, but that's something we should regularly expect. Um, and maybe someone would say, like the first thing that would pop up into my mind, because it's also, uh, it's a fallacy that pops up in many different 
you know, biblical arguments is, okay, a lot of people go out and share the gospel. Why aren't there like a ton of miracles today? Right? Why don't we see, well, unbelief is part of it. Um, why did, when Paul went to Ephesus, um, was it Apollos, not Apollo? Why, uh, what was his answer when Paul's preaching to, is it Apollos in Acts 10? Um, you know, when they took him and, and explained the way of God more accurately. 16. Oh, yeah, that is 16. That's not 10. Um, but why wasn't Apollos uh, baptized in the Spirit or experiencing oh, the power of the Spirit? They Yeah. So what was the implications? He said, have you received, uh, I don't, what does it say? Have you received the Holy Spirit? We've not heard of the Holy Spirit. I didn't even know there was the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? Yeah, is it 19, yeah, not 16? Yeah. So he didn't even know. He was His expectation wasn't even like the knowledge wasn't there, right? So if we don't go out and expect to see signs and miracles attesting to our proclamation evangelism, then we won't see them because it's not our expectation. We don't have, uh, you know, we haven't been thoroughly in scripture enough to be thoroughly convinced and have faith and belief that we should see that. <laughs> um, so let's move on. So, right, uh, we're just, so that's just like a kind of overview of like the necessity of God's power on display. Um, Number six out of the seven reasons why we have this program, proof of authentic discipleship, right? So we already confirmed that everybody has in their heart that they want to evangelize. They want to share the gospel. They want to tell other people about uh, Christ, right? Uh, John Luke, I know you this one because you memorize more scripture than anybody else in this room. What's Hebrews 11.6? Yeah, that earnestly seek him. Like faith, you know, Hebrews 11, 1. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed by God's command, so that what we see was made out of what was visible. No, ele- what I said, Hebrew, Hebrews 11, 1. Faith is the insurance of things oh, hoped for, yeah. uh, the something of things not seen. Evidence. Evidence of things not seen, right? So uh, all of us have a, a desire in our heart to go out and share the gospel. But nobody uh, has had enough faith and commitment to go out and do it, mm-hmm. right? So there's a disconnect. God uh, is without faith. It is impossible to please God. You know, for everyone who would seek him, we must first believe that he exists and uh, believe that, or what is it, and that he is a reward of those who diligently seek him. Right, there's a stepping out. We have to go. We can't stay silent in the churches anymore. We can't stay in our homes and just study theology. Although that's what I mostly want to do most of the time uh, is just have Josiah over and talk theology. Right? We have to go out and proclaim the gospel because that's part and proof of authentic discipleship, authentic love of Christ. Right? So where are we at? Anvesh, uh, can you read both those, John 15, 18, and John 15, 6? John 15, 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you bear and bear fruit, 
Yeah, so we have, um, you know, a teaching that we call, like, the five vital signs of life that looks at, like, you know, what does, like, life in Christ look like and how does that translate to, um, can anybody, especially on the leadership team, name all five, everybody? We're missing a lot of leaders tonight, but uh, John Luke, I know, could probably name all five because we took the test. I tested you guys, uh, and John Luke's very studious on these things. But can anybody name all five? We should be able to. Who can name one? Just shout it out. I know you guys know some. Hunger for the word. Hunger for God's word, right? If you don't, uh, if you don't want to read the Bible, if you don't want to know Christ deeper through His word, that's a really bad sign. <laughs> Which is why it's awesome that Dan read the Bible. He's reading the Bible for the seventy-sixth time. Eighty-seventh. I got the, I got them mixed up. That's a crazy. Right? Okay, what else? Change of lifestyle. Change of lifestyle, right? Like repentance, like I'm going to no longer uh, uh, <laughs> uh, get drunk. <laughs> uh, I'm not going to sleep with my girlfriend. I'm going to stop looking at pornography. I'm going to uh, stop cheating. I'm going to like be a hard worker. <laughs> You know, change of lifestyle, right? Okay, there's two. Fellowship with the saints. Christian. Fellowship, right? Desire for Christian community, fellowshipping with the saints, right? Uh, we're going to look at that one last, but there's a desire to witness. Um, but what's one we're missing? Well, we talked about fellowship, wanting to be around, uh, you know, Christ said, you know, all people will know that you're my disciples, that you have love for one another. If you don't hang out with them, you can't love them. <laughs> Um, well, that's how we look at this. Is these are all things that point to how can we examine ourselves to see if we have genuine love for God? Desire for yeah. His will and blessings and the things that He wants. Desire for all of God things, right? In contrast to the uh, modern watered-down gospel of just going to church once every blue moon or six months and reading your Bible occasionally, right? Like you want everything that God has, all of it. Fellowship of sufferings. I want it because it's part of God. I'm not joking. In uh, Romans 5, I'm always amazed when I read this that Paul says, like, Paul talks for like chapters and chapters about justification and being like made right with God and having peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he's like, even more than this, we rejoice in our sufferings. I'm like, come on, Paul. Like, <laughs> we, like more than justification, we rejoice in our sufferings. Are you serious? <laughs> like, yeah, he was on fire. There were a lot of other Christians that were on fire in the early church uh, and in the Reformation, <laughs> literally, right? So desire for all God's things, right? Like not just like uh, low view of the gospel, right? If, uh, you know, the best example is, you know, the Ethiopian eunuch, you know, in, in Acts 6, uh, is it Acts 8? 8, 8.36 is what I'm thinking of. You know, it's like, oh, there's some water. Why don't we get baptized? Like, he didn't wait. He wasn't like, you know, he's like, let's do this now, right? Um, you know, and then the fifth one is, obviously what we're talking about is evangelism, uh, sharing your faith. Like, if you never step out, there's been some disconnect in your love from God, obedience to Christ. Um, right? Where do we leave off? Uh, so proof of authentic discipleship. So uh, nowhere in Scripture, um, well, let's, we'll just... Tap this on to number seven. 
Um, and the last one of why we're even doing this program uh, in, a, in this systematic way is because of the Ministry of Reconciliation. So uh, where do we leave? Kyle, can you read Second Corinthians um, 5? Don't read The paper says 18 through 19, but read 18 through 20. Or just read 17 through 20. Yeah. So I'm making the case. We're going to look at it here in a minute. Uh, uh, let's see. Let me find it. Um, I gotta go back to Acts. So then, Teresa. Yeah, read uh, 15 through 20. Second Corinthians 5:15. No, I'm sorry, 17 through 20. One before and one after. Okay. Sorry. Yeah. Then, Teresa, can you read First uh, Thessalonians two thirteen? And we're gonna try to put it all together. First Thessalonians two thirteen. And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is—the word of God, which is at work in you, believers. Yeah, so both of the, the Second Corinthians and First Thessalonians passages, passages are saying, uh, part of what they're saying is, uh, you know, in, in Romans 10, you know, uh, 13 through 17, um, is all saying that God is entrusting us with the ministry to bring in the lost, to reconcile them uh, to the Father by Christ, Right. He doesn't do it in uh, directly, like, supernatural ways. That's not his normative pattern, right? Uh, Psalm 8, right? Who is man that you are mindful of him, uh, yet you made him a little bit lower than the heavenly beings, or some translations like the King James says, lower than God himself. Uh, and you put him uh, in, I'm just going to paraphrase from here on out, uh, in charge over all of creation, over the fish of the sea, over the birds, you know, and everything, right? So I always try to look at it in the best way to overcome our pietism, which is constantly at war in us, is God always works in the earth by two main uh, ways. First, uh, God never does anything on earth apart from the Holy Spirit. And God never does anything on earth apart from the church, disciples of Christ. Uh, everything else is like uh, God doesn't do it that way <laughs> normally, right? Uh, that's not the pattern. So if we're entrusted with the message of reconciliation and no one's going, who's going to be reconciled? Yeah. Nobody, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, maybe... Um, maybe once we have kids or something. That takes a while. Um, so Acts eleven twenty six. the last part says, and in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. So what is a Christian? A follower of Christ. The disciples... The disciples, right? Okay. The disciples were first called Christians, okay. right? 
So uh, that's why it says, go out, you know, all, that, all authority in heaven and earth has been given. They go for it and make disciples of all nations. Disciple the nations, right? When we're doing the message of, when we're entrusted with the message of reconciliation, we're making disciples, right? There's no distinction ever in Scripture uh, of that uh, it's for, like, certain people in the church, right? Second Corinthians doesn't bring that out. Uh, First Thessalonians doesn't necessarily, you can kind of say that, like, that's Paul speaking in his team, um, but he's also in the same thing, in the same uh, vein, saying that all of the church of Thessalonica is to do the same, right? Because they learned his ways and they're supposed to follow in his ways and the whole church, right? So we have made some kind of disconnect in our brains. Uh, Maybe it's through various means like improper readings of Ephesians 4.11 that uh, God gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, shepherds, uh, and evangelists, right? For the fivefold offices, right? Oh, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a teacher. And I definitely have, don't hold the office of an evangelist, but uh, that's just because you didn't read the rest of the verse. Equipping the saints for the work of ministry to building up the entire body to full maturity. So an evangelist is just, you know, in the office, someone that equips somebody. So what we're doing now, right? So we're all supposed to be evangelists. We're all supposed to be uh you know, ministers of reconciliation. We're all supposed to be bringing in uh, the lost sheep of the household of God. We're all supposed to be proclaiming the gospel. We're all supposed to be disciples of Christ that go out and make other disciples, right? Uh, so, does that make sense? Uh, like, he is committed and entrusted to us. Like, that is hopefully a huge weight. Um, I just like to do this, so let's just take a second and examine, because the rest of the stuff is kind of just pro- programmatic approaches that we're going to do, and I'll tell a little bit about this. Uh, so I always ask, especially people, if it ever gets on the subject, because like once you start discipling people that don't know anything about God or the Bible, they start learning, and then they want to tell people, but they don't know how to talk to people, <laughs> which is fun to kind of coach them and train them uh, into that. Uh, into and you you know the simultaneously doing it through like helping them understand like right doctrines, so uh, super tough theological question. Not tough at all. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, how is how like um, how am I going to wear this? How are we reconciled together? And I'm not saying like through preaching and everything. Uh, what is the only way to the Father? Christ. Christ, right? Uh, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? Okay, what happens to people in uh, some distant third world country that there's never, the unreached people groups never heard of Christ, deep within communist China, somewhere in Central Africa, Sudan, uh, never heard of Jesus Christ? What happens to them when they die? When they die? go to hell. Yeah, unfortunately. Maybe uh, probably not. Uh, that would be great. Romans says that every human has the knowledge of God within their heart. So even if they've never heard of Christ, they can, like, for example, Abraham, he didn't know Christ, but he was a Yahweh worshiper and followed through with God's commands. 
Uh, well, he he just to correct that a little bit, he did know Christ because he was looking forward to the the seed that would stomp out Satan's head, right? With Abraham. Yeah, okay. yeah. He didn't know Christ uh, yeah. personally in his incarnate sense. And, and that's he I mean. knew the triune God, right? Yahweh. Um, so the reason why I say is that an angel probably won't come and preach to him is because we just read that we are entrusted with the message of a reconciliation. God puts all things in our hands and entrusts us to do it. Uh, although we did get uh, the law delivered to us by angels. Um, is it possible? Yes. Is it God's normative patterns? Absolutely not. Uh, so uh, most people, uh, because you guys are you guys are good theological students and have read your Bibles, uh, easily answered, yeah, those people are uh, condemned outside of Christ, right? But most people I talk to answer, well, God will show mercy in their ignorance. Well, that's just, number one, not the case. Uh, because, like you said, Morgan, in uh, Romans 1, that, you know, the wrath of God has been poured out against uh, uh, all wickedness and ungodliness, um, and those uh, and everyone suppresses the truth in unrighteousness, and what has been clearly known, uh, or what has been known about God, can be has been shown, can be clearly known because He shows it to them, namely in His divine power uh, and through creation. So no one is without excuse, right? No one is without excuse. Not a single one. You can't say ignorance. So what I try to help people work through is, you know, because they want to go out and share the gospel and all these things, and they're starting to learn things about God, and they get excited. Uh, and I ask them this question, because if the answer was, if by ignorance, if there is another way to Christ, if by ignorance uh, you can, God is going to show you mercy, our best approach to unreached people groups is to build walls around them so that nobody can get in and preach the gospel because they might hear it and reject it and then be damned to hell. But if they can claim ignorance and go to heaven, if that's the goal, then what we should do is be building walls. We should not be telling people the gospel. We should help them because they're automatically saved in this hypothetical sense uh, by not hearing, right? You should not share the gospel because they might hear it and reject Christ. That would be the most loving thing to do, right? But scripturally, that's not the case. No one is without excuse. All people know that God exists deep down within their heart. And the only way to be reconciled is through the gospel, through Jesus Christ, right? So that, is, that motivates us. That gives us uh, a motivation from God that we're entrusted with that. So therefore, we must go, right? So there is, like, I think, you know, a deeper process of going deeper with theology and asking God to, like, really let that, like, sit on your hearts, like, there's people you know, there's family members that you might be afraid to, you know, confront or talk to or, or uh, I don't necessarily think you should share the gospel very much at work. Uh, and if it's taken away from work and being a productive worker and plus because of the low gospel culture that we have, that it's going to take hours and hours and hours meeting with them just see if they'll meet later. And if they want to, then that's a good sign. Uh, but, you know, there's people you know, there's people you live with, your family members you go to school with that you have a heart to, you know, evangelize to, but uh, that has to, you know, come into reality. We have to go. We have to preach or else they're still condemned. They're still without excuse, 
right? So uh, that's what we've been entrusted with. That's pretty weighty. Uh, you know, I'd really like, we're going into, you know, a season of uh, prayer and fasting and like really, if you have any regular fasting um, times or, or prayer, like really pray that like God would put a weight on your spirit, on your heart for evangelism and for the lost and to see God glorified, to see Christ's kingdom expanded through like real converts. Like we do a pretty good job of, like just within RCF, uh, this is just a kind of another side note of um, helping people come out of like lower, less gospel-saturated, low theologies, you know, forms of Christianity where they sometimes have like, you know, a genuine love for God, just they don't have any knowledge, right? Like Romans 10 says that like though they loved God, uh, they had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, you know, talking about the Jews. Um but, uh, you know, there's other, there are people out there that have a genuine love for God, but not according to knowledge. And we do, I think, do a pretty good job of helping people like that's kind of, that's not really what I was, I was converted, but a lot of people who um, just need to come into more of presence of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, good ecclesiology, and help them, uh, you know, come into that. But what we want to progress to and what I have because uh, somehow I, somehow I became the teacher <laughs> uh, so I'm, I'm in charge I guess of where we go teaching wise and equipping wise which which is equipping is uh, like I want to see Muslims converted I want to see atheists converted I want to see Hindus converted I want to see people who absolutely hate God I want to see homosexuals converted and I think they will be and I know they will be if we're faithful to the gospel because that's what the gospel does. That's what God promises. First Corinthians you know, 6, that the homosexuals, which is sometimes translated male prostitutes, it says, and such were some of you, but then you were washed with the blood of Christ and through the Holy Spirit. Right? Like I really believe that we're going to see as we're faithful to God, faithful to his, his gospel, we're going to see Muslims converted. We're going to see people come out of homosexuality. We're going to see people come out of Hinduism, out of atheism, uh, and that's going to change their life, and it's going to be radical, and it's going to be awesome. So if, you're, if you have regular times of fasting and praying, like pray towards that in our uh, upcoming season as we prepare to get equipped uh, for everyone to be equipped to go share the gospel. So real quick before we end, um, we're going to go over, like, so this is kind of how the program was built up, as we see on the paper in that, that point B, uh, training of the 12, seven principles employed by Jesus and the apostles built into this program. Uh, it's for everybody, Ephesians 4.12, for the saints, equipping of the saints, that's what we're doing. Point C, uh, formal program versus spontaneous encounters versus relational evangelism. Those are false, that's a false trichotomy. Um, we have to do them all, right? Read... Uh, it's not on the paper, but read First uh, Peter three fifteen and sixteen. That handles kind of all of them right there. Uh, so there's proclamation, power display, and and friendship. All three of those are going to be combined. Like this will equip you to better evangelize in those personal, family, friendship settings. Uh, this will equip you to go out and stand on a street corner and everything in between, <laughs> right? Um, 
you know, and we're trying to build a formal program of like actually, you can go out and uh, spontaneous evangelize if you want, feel free to, uh, be led by the Spirit, 100%, go, no one's stopping you. Uh, but also, we're going to put together a schedule. <laughs> and if uh, you're not on the leadership team actively, uh, and you want to be put on the schedule, just get a hold of me. I'll put you on, and I'll probably talk to you individually anyways. <laughs> um, so components of the program, what tools, commitments, and structures are involved. Uh, the commitment would be, um, you know, coming. We're going to do this every Tuesday. We're going to run over by a few weeks into the summer, uh, probably three or four weeks into the summer on, you know, just teachings. You know, bring a, uh, like I said, bring a three-ring binder, uh, put all the papers in it, take notes. Um, next week, I'll bring, you know, the list of the 47, 48 scriptures that you would have to know and memorize. Uh, and that will, like, be imperative that you know, and that's the short list. I'll give you the larger list of scriptures to memorize. Um, we're going to go through, because part of this, like, the latter half of the program is kind of a, a systematic, comprehensive teachings on the gospel like, you should be able to, like, I'm going to see if I can do this. This is, we'll just take this out of the podcast or something if I can't. Like, like I, I just, the way my mind is structured is I think systematically of, okay, eight essential elements of the biblical Christian gospel series. Point one, God. Uh, then man. Then the Ten Commandments. Uh, oops, here we go. Then four, history of Israel. Uh, then five, Jesus Christ, the only mediator. Then six, receiving Jesus Christ. Uh, number seven, five, is that the five steps or is that? Uh, five first steps is number seven. Then number eight, I think, is growing in grace. Maturing in Christ, growing in grace. Right, so I think of number one is like as I'm going out and sharing the gospel with you, what is their view of God, reality, what's their worldview, and how do I, and what are... So if you're going to proclaim the biblical gospel, you have to know the character and attributes of God. <laughs> and if you don't know scripture then you about it, then you're probably off base to some degree. So you, like a lot of it is scriptures on God's attributes, right? Um, then uh, we're also, so it says designed for a classroom setting and uh, workshops one-on-one. I would love to have time to meet with people and even... You know, someday I want to do like a strictly apologetics kind of class where we might just like get together regularly, you know, or uh, or something like, you know, before we start the schedule to send people out about like, how are we going to practically like approach people? Like, uh, I don't think anybody here has been approached at a table and started coming. So that's all right. Most people come through flyers, but uh, when you go out and share the gospel, uh, you know, we say, hi, my name is Stephen, and this is whoever I'm with. We're with uh, Rock Campus Fellowship, a, a student Christian group here on campus, and we just go around and we talk to people about uh, the biblical worldview and faith. Uh, you know, we just start a conversation, like that's how we start every time, and that's how, well, that's how I start every time. <laughs> uh, and that's systematic, and I try to say that in a less begrudging way, right, uh -huh. with personality. And we try to start a conversation from there, um, you know, about the 
So it's not like, hey, and then we try to like weave in Christian worldview and faith in there. It's, hey, I'm here to talk to you about the biblical faith and Christian worldview. And if we start a conversation from there, maybe God's doing something. <laughs> you know, my, God might be drawing them in. That might be a good sign, right? So. Don't talk yeah. about baptism right away. That might scare them away. Or some people believe in tongues. Some people are yeah. actually spoken, but later, you know, because everybody speaks different languages. You have to speak their language. Yeah. So yeah, what in speaking their language, like so, their idea of God might be like if you talk to a Mormon, he says, "Yeah, I believe in God, the only God, and I believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and He died for our sins." That's what a Mormon says. But a Mormon is apostate, separated from Christ, doesn't know Him, rejects the authority of Scripture. Right. So they have all the their ideas and their views of God are far from uh, what the Bible says, right? Like Jonathan can tell you all about the World Mission Society Church of God, uh, <laughs> right? It's a new pseudo-Christian cult on campus that you know openly introduces themselves about. Have you heard of God? Or God the Mother? Wait, what? God the Mother. That's intriguing. That is intriguing. <laughs> <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Uh, Right, so they believe that Jesus Christ is the only Son of God, that there's one God and three persons and eternally begotten, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, and that there's a mother God. And they also believe that mother God is incarnate on the earth now. You can go and visit her and worship her. Wow. They, but they believe that. They believe in Jesus. They've been baptized and all these things, right? So it's not a, that's our Christianese, right? If they say that, I don't, okay, where's the fruit? <laughs> Show me the fruit. Proof is in the pudding, right? So I want to do, uh, we might do some workshops more so in the summer. Uh, we might just like replace Thursdays with like practical workshops of how do we go out and, and meet people? If they say this, what do we say? What is presuppositional apologetics? What is evidential apologetics? What is classical apologetics? How do we utilize all three of those? What do we do? How do we start a conversation? Uh, if they say this, what do we do? Uh, you know, sanctify Christ in your hearts as Lord. That's what... That's where it starts, right? Um, but we, we'll do practical things, right? So I want to give you as much tools and everything. Uh, so you just need to be committed. Come on Tuesdays. Uh, take notes. Be willing to learn. Get on the uh, schedule. Uh, and at the end, if you follow through, there will be. It says there'll be a test. Because there will be a test. There's always a test. It'll be even more intense than if you were here two years ago than that test, which is not very intense. It was only, did you memorize 48 scriptures, and can you match them up? Super easy. I did it. I actually went back, and I took the test because I was looking through my folder, and I passed. Ooh, what was your percent? 100%. Because it's like a matching up, like, what's this verse to this verse? It's super easy. Those were low standards. As we progress, our standards are getting higher. We're becoming more Christian. Uh, you know... Perseverance, uh, continue, continue, continue. Uh, fishing is an acquired skill. Don't expect to go out and convert every single person you talk to. Don't go out your first time fishing and catch every single fish you want to fish for. Uh, it's an acquired skill. You're, you're going to mess up. You're like the Lord's actually going to teach you as you go out. Like, uh, like I remember, uh, this was probably like, you know, I don't remember a whole lot of anything, but. Uh, you know, there's some things that like, you know, stick with me and uh, like I remember like what clicked in my life of like wanting to like, go out and share the gospel and I remember like 
Greg and I used to like regularly talk on his back porch late at night in the summer. I was like crying. I was like, like there's so many lost people out there and this world is falling apart and we have to go and we have to save them and we are the answer and we have the answer. Like, and I said like, you know, you have to teach me how to go out and evangelize. And I was like waiting for like, okay, like, like this is it. Greg's gonna teach me how to share the gospel. And he said, well, just go out and do it. <laughs> I was like, what? That's not what I wanted to hear. No, I wanted to hear, like, what's the, like, what's the, what's the 12 step approach? What do we do? What do I say? It's like, well, the Lord will teach you. <laughs> Just go out and do it. And I was like, so then I had to, like, be like, oh, crap. Uh, I have to, like, actually, like, in a non systematic, like, mindset of, like, if I do this, do this. I just had to go out and learn from experience, and the Holy Spirit will teach you. God will uh, teach you as you as you go out and share but you have to go out and share you'll figure out objections and how to overcome and where you messed up uh you know as you go right it's an acquired skill um and again to persistence we're gonna start like this is gonna become a regular part of our culture of people going out in two by two sharing the gospel you know uh in in uh at the tables you know here at Wright state uh it's gonna become It'll take a little bit longer, but it will become a regular part of proclamation, you know, quote-unquote street corner, uh, large mass evangelism, Billy Graham style, uh, you know, which comes, oh, if you wanted to get a good book on that, uh, I meant to read this whole thing over spring break. This is just another plug. We don't have this in the library at GCF. We do have it in the library at the RCF condo. Lon Allison and Mark Anderson, Going Public with the Gospel, Reviving Evangelistic Proclamation. Uh, great, easy-to-read book on um, the historicity and the necessity of large public square gospel proclamation. I can totally see Josiah in Peru proclaiming on the street corners thousands of people on the beach, if there's a beach in Peru, uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ and converting people. So that's where we're heading. Get on the train. Let's go. Let's go. Uh, somebody want to close? Or does anybody have anything? Nobody? Somebody want to close this in prayer, and then we're going to eat some snacks. Sure.